Welcome, everybody. I am super excited. I don't think I've been this excited uh, about a guest in a very long time. Today on the show, we have Nick Gray, and we're going to be talking about Nick's book. And it's the two-hour cocktail party. And hold on to your seats because you're going to love it. I found out about this book, and it you know, at first I was like, what? But man, once you get into this book, it is a game changer for you and your business. Nick Gray started and sold not one, but two successful companies, Museum Hack and Flight Display System. He is the author of the new best-selling book, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, a step-by-step -step handbook that teaches you how to build big relationships by hosting small gatherings. Nick Gray, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited too. <laughs> hey, we're both excited. It's a phenomenal idea. And you know what? I love this. Not only is it a good book, but just from a marketing copy, uh, copywriting point, uh, you know, the two hour cocktail party up here, how to build big relationship with small gatherings. It's a great hook. And so my first question to you is what got you to write the book? What was happening? Give us the background on how you got to the point where, of writing the book? Um, I didn't have a lot of friends. I moved to uh, Austin, Texas um, about a year and a half ago. And I knew the exact playbook of what to do because I hosted so many events in New York City. And when I moved to New York 15 years ago, same thing. I did not have a lot of friends. I didn't. I was not successful at networking events. They were too busy and crowded. And frankly, nobody wanted to talk to me. So I decided to bring the party to me Instead of me going to these parties, I'd bring the party to me, and I started to host my own events. I hosted hundreds of them, and I taught some people how to host their own. And when my friend, his name is Tyler, moved to Little Rock, he didn't know anybody but his wife's family. And he said, hey, Nick, will you teach me how to do this? That was about six years ago. And so since then, I've taught about you know maybe 60 or 70 people how to do it. And we had a Google Doc that we just shared it in, and, and then I made this into a book. It's yeah, that, that's fantastic. And, and uh, what's so great about your story there is, uh, uh, you know, you had a problem, you solved it. And then that light bulb moment where you realize, well, this will probably solve problems for a lot of people, right? I mean, yes. it, it, it's phenomenal. Yes, exactly. And you know what, it, what this, re your story reminds me of, and I cannot remember, I can't remember the, uh, uh, the author, but it goes something like this. I went looking for a friend and found none. I decided uh -huh. to become a friend and found many. And that's I what like that. Yeah, that's what you remind me of. You want, you know, again, it's one of those things. If you go out looking for friends, it's going to be hard because, you know, people are, uh, you know, we're all kind of weird sometimes. But yes. by causing people to come to you and making it a fun environment, you made, I'm assuming, tons of friends. That's exactly right. And for your listeners, I use those friends to launch my last business. And so what's the purpose? Why make these friends? Why do we build our network? I did it to launch my last company, which is Museum Hack, which I grew to 60 employees and $3 million in annual sales. I don't say that to brag, but just to put it into scale that like you can use your network and even friends to help launch a company. I love it. I love it. All right. So Real quick, what was Museum Hack? I got to, oh, yeah. I guess you talk about it, but give, give everybody a, a synopsis of Museum Hack. 
so Museum Hacker was a weird business, and it may be the weirdest business you've ever had on here. Uh, we did renegade museum tours held at some of the biggest museums in America. So the Metropolitan Museum in New York was where we started. And you're probably wondering, what is a renegade museum tour? <laughs> And that is that I would hire people like stand-up comedians and Broadway actors to lead these tours at the museum, not the docents or the volunteers. They were my staff who worked for me, not the museum. And so I would tell and share the juicy gossip about the art and the backstories and all that stuff. So it, was, it became a very popular tour activity for visitors and for tourists. But then where we made our money was we took that tour and we sold it to companies as a team building experience. Oh, cool. I like so that. Th it was really cool so, because then that $59, you know, tourist tour became a $179 corporate experience. <laughs> I love it. You know, and, and again, what if this is a great uh, marketing strategy, you know, a corporate event, a corporate, uh, what do you call it? Uh, team building event. Experience yep. is going to be, is going to have more value where yeah. you can charge $170, versus yeah the consumer the average consumer who's not interested in that hey they may pay you 50 or 60 bucks but yes. again it's just a quick marketing thing you see this all over the place uh very common uh you can buy uh, uh what do you call it? i see this at the store quite a bit where you can go and buy a bag of grapes and they're like let's say two dollars a pound but if you buy a box of grapes right seven dollars a pound <laughs> yes yes <laughs> it's all marketing oh, isn't that funny baby. how funny is that that is incredible. All right. So um, let, let me ask you this. When you're putting the book together, uh, when you were writing yes. the book, any anything that stuck out, any big surprise or aha moment as you're putting the book together? Yes, I did have some aha moments. But has any of your guests asked you about the sign that's behind you about discipline equals freedom? Because I, I'm just curious about it because it's resonating with me. <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, every now and then somebody says, Hey, that's a cool sign. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, uh, had heard that, um, discipline equals freedom, uh, multiple places. And I just, it's so true, right? Whether you're in a relationship, whether you're going to finish a book, whether you're going to write a book, whether you're going yeah. to get in better shape, discipline is required for that success or that freedom right a thousand percent and it it jumped out at me when you asked me about writing my book because i got to tell you i would not wish writing a book on my worst enemy um it was a tough process for me and i'm a perfectionist and if you're a perfectionist then maybe <laughs> stick to social media because you can throw it out there and you can just whatever it's social media who cares right but on a book when everything has to be perfect because you get one chance and mine is very prescriptive. You've looked through it and you've seen there's checklists. It's very tactical and practical. It's not long narratives. You read through and there's a lot of stuff to do. It's a handbook. Yes. Um, so anyhow, so I did that. I think one of the, one of the most, mm, what's helpful that I could share. I can tell your listeners this. The best book that I've read 
for advice about if you ever want to write a nonfiction book, this guy wrote this book called um, Write Useful Books. I think his name is Rob Fitzpatrick. And I wish I would have read that book much earlier along my journey. And it basically just says, get your stuff out there. Put it on LinkedIn. Don't, don't wait. Don't write your book in a vacuum so that one day, surprise, you have a 50,000 script manuscript. No, start to put your chapters out on LinkedIn. Test things. See what resonates, just like you're doing. Have a podcast. Share it on YouTube. Like, Talk your ideas out. Don't make them in a vacuum. Man, that is phenomenal. I've never thought about putting a chapter releasing a chapter at a time on uh, LinkedIn and, and stuff like that, which uh, not only could you do that on LinkedIn, obviously you could do it on Facebook or other social yeah. media platforms, but what a really smart idea. You know, I remember uh, many, many years ago, Ken Blanchard, I talked to Ken Blanchard about his book, the, what is it? The uh, 10 minute manager. Wow. He's a legend. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. And, and so I tell you what was, and he did something kind of what you're talking about. This is before social media, but he basically had his book written or whatever. And, and uh, a lot of people don't know this. He also did a self-published deal uh, before then, of course, it, because it blew up, then somebody offered him a deal. But he basically wrote everything out, stapled it together and shared it, you know, and shared copies with friends, got feedback. And, yes. and then, you know, adjust it accordingly. So, but I, I love the idea that nowadays we can use LinkedIn, LinkedIn, we can use Facebook, we can use all different types of ways of getting feedback. And, and like yeah. you said, not waiting to the last minute. Exactly. And not waiting because maybe you get feedback on LinkedIn and everybody's blowing up and you know, I got to move this chapter earlier. Don't wait till the end. I did that real quick. Can I tell you? Because you yeah. said you read my book chapter about the name tags. Yes. And I used to have the name tags chapter way at the end. And people said, this is your best chapter. Put it, move it up, move it up. So I did. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that. I love it. It's phenomenal. And we're going to get into it again. I'm going to plug the book because it's awesome. It is the two hour cocktail by Nick Gray. And, uh it is a recipe, a blueprint, a step-by-step -step on how to throw these small gatherings, these small parties. And what I love about the book, or one of the things that you talk about in the book is starting on time and finishing on time yes. and, and getting people in and out in that two hours. And that's why you can have these parties during the week versus having a long extended party on a Friday or Saturday you, 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 the focus is, hey, we're going to get together for a couple hours. We're going to have some fun. Come over. Yes. And yes. It, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it was phenomenal. Thank um, you for saying that, Bert. You bet. Now, okay. So since you brought up name tags, let's talk about name tags. Uh, how did the whole name tag thing come about? Because, you know, when people think of name tags, <laughs> they're like, oh, they're so old fashioned. That's what I thought. Name tags. That's such a, you know, that's such a, what do you call it? Uh, I don't know. It's such an old corporate. Yeah, it's too stuffy. Yeah. And, and so, all right. So how did the whole name tag thing come about? So name tags came about because frankly, I'm bad with names and maybe someone like yourself too. You meet a lot of people and you have a podcast, you have a show, you put videos out. A lot of people know who you are and it's hard for us to keep track of everybody. And that happened to me because I'm I'm hosting a lot of museum tours and other stuff and I'm bad with names. So I did name tags, but I specifically remember that I went to this fancy party in New York City 
I used to live in New York. I lived there for 13 years. I loved it, but I'm happy in Texas now. But I went to this fancy party and I saw this woman who I knew who's a CEO of a company and she comes running up to me and she's like, Nick, oh my God, it's so good to see you. And I'm mortified. I'm frozen in my tracks. She's waiting. She's like, and are you going to say my name? And I was like, hello, you. It's so good to see you. And it was awkward and it all could have been saved at the party with a name tag. Now, that's not to say that she was only important because she was a CEO. You need to remember everybody's name, but name tags just make it easier for your guests. And I'm also going to tell you, we also want to think about introverts and shy people and how to make them feel more included at these events. That's what makes it special. Because you ever been to a networking event? It's all these extroverted people that are, you know, whatever. It's just. It's nice to make everybody feel included and name tags really help with that. Yes, yes. And, and, and um, again, when I first thought of the name tag thing, I was like, oh, I just rolled my eyes. But once you read the chapter, it totally makes sense. In fact, now that now after reading the chapter on the name tags, I even if you're throwing a big function like a, uh, your, your basic corporate networking function, any kind of function at all, you are crazy not to have name tags. It is, right? so, I completely sold on name tags. Right? Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Oh my goodness. It, and again, it, it is, it's, some of the stuff is just, uh, the name tag was like the biggest surprise to me how much I liked it once I read the chapter. Um, but all right, so let's talk about this. Um, what are some of the biggest mistakes that people need to avoid? Could you talk about this in the book? What are some of the biggest mistakes that people need to avoid when putting these gatherings together? All right. The biggest one that I see for a first time host, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. Be uh, so I'm asking you a question. What do you think is the number one fear for someone who's never really hosted an event before? I would think would be people not showing up. That's exactly right. Ding, ding, ding. It's that, 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 that's why most people don't bring their friends, their neighbors, their colleagues together because they're worried that nobody will show up. And so, so much of my book, probably 80% of it deals with, you know, how to make sure that you're going to have almost over 90% of people show up. I forced my sister to read my book this past weekend, and she hosted a girl's night on Saturday night. She had 21 people who RSVP'd, and every single one of them showed up for her party. And that is what you'll get when you do a few things. So I'll tell you what those are. Number one. Host your party on what I call a non-red level day. That means Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday night, because those are not socially competitive nights. Two, only host it for two hours. It's a two-hour cocktail party to let people know that this is not a chance to get you know, wasted. This isn't a huge blowout party. We're coming. We're meeting. They can pop in. Uh, three, you're going to send three reminder messages leading up to the event. And a lot of people are like, three, that's too many. Bert, I've hosted hundreds of events. No one has ever said, you spammed me too much about this free party you threw. Nobody says that. <laughs> um, and then four, we're going to collect um, RSVPs on an RSVP platform like Eventbrite, um, Paperless Post. The one I like is a service called Mixily, M-I-X-I-L-Y. But a lot of the youth like this one called um, Partyful, P A R T I. F-U-L, but a free thing just to get people to commit and make a social contract and say, I'm coming 
and then you can send the reminder messages through there. So those are a couple of the major mistakes that I see for people doing. And then the last and most important one, no food. This is not a dinner party. Please, not a dinner party. Dinner parties are too hard. They're too complicated. Only cocktails. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that there was no food involved. I think you mentioned maybe maybe some snacks. like snacks. Yeah. And I thought, ooh, yeah, it's perfect. I mean, you don't have to worry about it. All right. So, you know, the biggest aha that I got out of the book, and I want to talk about this again, the book, the two-hour cocktail party. I'm going to leave the link in the show notes, is this thing called the icebreakers. And you have three icebreakers during this two-hour get-together. Talk about the icebreakers. Talk about how you came up with that and what's the purpose of the icebreakers talk about this please guys check out our sponsor freepublicityexpert.com what would happen to your business if you were 10 times more famous what would happen to your credibility and your profitability if you were seen on the news on a regular basis check these guys out at freepublicityexpert.com freepublicityexpert.com get the publicity your business deserves check them out two purposes of icebreakers the first purpose and what's an icebreaker it's just a conversational mix-up we're just trying to have folks have an excuse to go talk to somebody new okay so what's the first purpose the first purpose is to give them an excuse to go chat with somebody new the second purpose which you may not think about is to give people an excuse to end their existing conversations how many times you've been in an event and you're stuck you're like ah i'm kind of done talking to this person uh, well, when we run icebreakers, it gives them an excuse. Oh, I guess I got to go. We're doing icebreakers. Nice to meet you. I'll talk to you later. Um, and the one, can I tell the ones I like to use? Yes. The number one that I like to use, because most people who read my book, my book is meant for people who, who haven't hosted a lot. And so this is probably their first time running an icebreaker. And the only thing that's important is just that it goes well. And so we're not trying to get creative. We're not trying to create the best. You're just doing one that always works. And so that one is say your name, say what you do for work, and then say one of your favorite things that you like to eat for breakfast. Now, why that one? Well, because it's easy because everybody eats breakfast or chooses not to eat. They've done it recently. There's no judgment. It doesn't take you a long time to think about it. And the actual thing we want to know is their name and what they do for work, right? Because it's like kind of a networking thing. But we add the breakfast because it expresses their personality and because it's easy and it works all the time and it's fast. Yes. Right. There's yeah. no judgment. Right. They're not. Mm, what's my favorite movie? Mm, what's my favorite book? Mm, what's the worst job I ever had? It's not that right. It's fast. And in a room where you don't know a lot of people, it's easy to go around and it doesn't require vulnerability. So that's the quick gist. You know, it's phenomenal. I love that idea of the icebreakers. And again, this is something that especially now that people are starting to come back to, to an office environment, I could see the icebreakers being done at the office. Just getting yes. everybody together. Maybe it's somebody you've never met. Maybe somebody you haven't seen in a couple of years. Get them yes. together. Let's do a couple of icebreakers. I just thought that was a phenomenal tool. I just loved it. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> uh, all right. So talk about some of the results that you've gotten from hosting these small gatherings, these two-hour cocktail parties. I know you mentioned the museum hack as, as, a, as a, one of your, uh, what do you call it, success stories. Any other ones that you can share with us? Um, let's see. Any other success stories? 
Well, some of the success stories that I like to share about are of the readers, of people who've read my party. And so I'm thinking about this guy in Chicago who has a tiny apartment, 300 square feet, 300 square feet, tiny, tiny. And he hosted 28 people and it was packed, but it was exciting. And a lot of people say, my apartment isn't nice enough. It's too far away. It's too small. It's too dirty. I say, you know what? Within reason, that doesn't matter because you will have the confidence and you'll have the vulnerability to invite people into your home and nobody's going to show up to your party and judge you. They're not going to show up and be like, oh, this is too small. I'm leaving to start a rival party. No. They're going to be there and they're going to create that vulnerability of you inviting them into your home is going to create a deeper, deeper, deeper connection. And now I'm happy that I've helped almost 100 people host their first party, which this is pretty weird, right? Because I'm just doing this for fun, for free. And it seems like I'm not selling anything. I'm not trying to sell. I'm just trying to, I think there's a loneliness epidemic kind of post-COVID and folks just aren't, most adults haven't made a new friend in many years. And this is my attempt to try to fix that. You know what? Uh, I think you've hit an incredibly big nail on the head because even pre-COVID, you know, once we get to a certain point in our lives, I don't think we expand our circle very much. Yes. I mean, especially if you are married and you have children. Yeah. You know, your 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 circle is really just the friends that you had before you got married, maybe some coworkers and your family, and it doesn't get much bigger than that. And, right. And then the other thing is back to, you know, uh, again, as humans, you know, we're so weird sometimes. Uh, we don't want to be alone, but we don't want to make the first move to make friends either. So yes. I think that this, the two-hour cocktail party is the prescription to cure that. I mean, and, and it doesn't have to be with anything, uh, uh, what do you call it, with any kind of uh, major intent. For example, you know, right. you could bring a bunch of corporate people together because maybe you want to build your network. That's one way of doing it. Yes. The other yeah. thing you mentioned about how sometimes we don't even know our neighbors. Well, what yes. if you had, what if you invited five or 10 neighbors to come over just to get to know your neighbors? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. By the way, the pro tip that I'm going to tell your listeners is do that first. Do exactly what Bert said. Host this at home, host it for your neighbors and your friends. Your first party should be a low stakes affair. You're not pulling from the top shelf. If you're wanting to date, if you want a new job, if you're trying to impress somebody, do not invite them to your first party. Your first party is just a very chill gathering, neighbors, friends, colleagues, people that you know that you're close to, and you invite them to your home so you learn the formula and you learn how to host a good event. I'll show you how exactly how to make it easy. And then Bert said something which was really great was that most people are kind of afraid of rejection. Um, And let me tell you what I've learned from inviting thousands of people to these cocktail parties. Everyone wants to be invited to a party. When you invite someone to your party, it's a gift that you get to give them. Even if they don't want to come, I can promise you by you inviting them, it's a compliment because you're showing them that they are wanted. It's a it's a secret life hack. Just imagine you bump into somebody cool at a business event, at a coffee place. The difference between saying, hey, I'd like to get to know you. Can I have your phone number? Maybe that could be a little awkward. Or, hey, my friends and I are hosting a little cocktail party. Can I send you the information? 
That's such an easy way to get contact info. It's such an easy yes, as you know from sales, make it easy for them to say yes. Can I send you the information versus can we have a one-on-one -on -one meeting? That's hard. That's hard. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. And, and there's just so many gifts that can come out of hosting a two-hour cocktail party. It's amazing. All right. You mentioned uh, something that I want to kind of uh, ask you. You mentioned how sometimes we as humans are fearful. When you were putting this book together, did you hit that wall of fear? And if you did, yeah. did you, how did you overcome it? I definitely did hit some fear. I tell you what, I, I, I just couldn't finish the book. I had some mental blocks around something. Something was holding me back. And I'm a perfectionist. I wanted ever, I spent the reality is I had some dark months and weeks of, of just trying to work too much, spend too much time on things that really didn't matter. And maybe you've done that too in your life. I certainly did it a lot. And I spent too much time on things that didn't matter. But then I'll tell you what, the hardest time was I was getting ready to finish my manuscript around March of 2020. And then I don't have to say what happened, but the idea of releasing a book where you invite 15 to 20 people into your home in March of 2020 was not a very popular idea. And so I basically closed the word doc click and I didn't open it for a year and wow. my whole life changed. And so that was an interesting thing. I'm thankful. I'm, I'm blessed. I have my health. I have my friends and family. A lot of people had a worse situation during COVID, but for me, that was interesting to totally shift gears. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, nothing. This has nothing to do with the, uh, with the book. But just out of my own curiosity, why did you leave uh, New York for, is it Austin, Texas? Austin, Texas. I'm yeah. in Austin now. Yeah. Um, I fell in love with Austin and I fell in love with the great people of Texas. I kind of grew up in Dallas a little bit and I came back to Austin and the nature and the outdoors. Now, look, I'm a city slicker to my core. I think New York City, if you want to live in a big city, in a big city, there's nowhere in America like New York. I lived there for 13 years, no car, never drove, didn't have to, you don't need to. I also live in New York for 13 years with no dishwasher, no washer dryer, you know, no guest bedroom, you know, fifth floor walk up, which was great for my glutes, by the way, I had the best butt ever. But, um, but it's just a different, it's just a different style and a pace of life. I think I'm getting older and I just want something a little slower if I'm being honest, I like that now. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny you should say that because I used to, uh, I lived in New York. I lived there in Manhattan for about a year and, and uh, a little bit over a year. And so uh, it, it's a great energy. Like you said, the pace is amazing. And one of my favorite things about New York was you could work, you know, whatever. You could work all day, get home, take a nap, shower, and then, yeah. you know, you hit the street around 10 or 11 and it's just starting you know, the nightlife is just starting to come together. Uh, and, and you didn't know this, but I grew up in Texas. So Texas is the reverse. You know, if right. you're not out in the streets by 10 or 11, uh, you know, it's going to start wrapping up pretty soon. So right, right. <laughs> a different lifestyle. And yes, I love New York, but uh, man, I, I also did appreciate the, the simplicity, if you will, the the, the different energy that I grew up in Houston. So Houston I, and, and Austin have a different energy than New York and that's okay. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it is a great, great city. Uh, there's just uh, this, this great energy there that uh, it's, it's not any place else. Even in Los Angeles, 
the energy is different than it is in New York. And New York it really is. Real, yeah. It's so dense. And I think yes. that's the big thing. That's so dense. I love what you did. How old were you when you lived there, Bert? Oh my gosh, I was 30. I think everybody should live in New York for like a year. It should be like a study abroad program for most Americans. <laughs> and you got to live in New York for a year, sometime before you're 35. Live in New York for a year. Try it out. Because when you were writing the book, did you have a specific reader in mind? Or was this, you know, like for everybody? Or were you thinking, hey, this is just for, pe you know, for business people? What were you thinking as far as readership? This book works best for someone who has, I would say, who has or who knows, you know, 20 to 30 people in their loose connections in the town that they live. I don't mean 20 to 30 friends or best friends, but I mean, on your Facebook or on your LinkedIn, you've got at least 20 or 30 people that you've met or talked to over the last five years. Because what this party really is for is for developing and building your connections of what sociologists call your weak ties or your loose connections. Because we find out about the best business opportunities, relationships, new jobs. We find out about those through our weak ties, through our acquaintances. Think about acquaintances, somebody that maybe you know their name, maybe not, but you see them, you say hello to them. That is what this party's for. This party is for to develop that network that you have of acquaintances. So that's, that's kind of who I think about. It can work for somebody that just moves to a new town that knows nobody. And I've seen it work and I've helped people do that, but it's a little bit harder. Sure, sure. Uh, like your buddy Tyler there who moved, uh, was it Chicago? No. Little Rock, yeah. Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas. Yep, 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 yep. The book, again, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party by Nick Gray. And it's really about how to build big relationships, relationships with small gatherings. And it is totally step-by-step. Step. You cover everything um, in this book. You cover the, the whole invite sequence, which I thought was phenomenal. Uh, there, I, I don't think you left anything to chance. It's really, I mean, very well detailed and very well laid out. It's, uh, it, it's well done, Nick. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, Bert. I appreciate it. I worked on it for five years. My goal is just just like you said, people are lonely. And I think we, we need to get back together because as adults, you alluded to this friendship becomes a game of attrition. People just, as you get older, people just kind of drop off and it's harder to meet new people. And that's, what's messed up. Nobody teaches adults how to make new friends. Well, yes. what if you, how would your life change if you became that person that your friends meet people through you become that one who's the super connector through your town. All that it takes is a simple two hour cocktail party. Yeah, that's phenomenal. You get to be the guy. I have a guy. I have a guy. Right, yeah, right. You become the guy. And, you know, back to your loose ties, you cover this in the book. Uh, but this is so true. Uh, some, I forgot what the percentage, but there's a large percentage of jobs that are filled through yes. these acquaintances and loose yes. ties. Right. Right. It's who you know. Yes. It's that old phrase. Your net worth is your network right? Yes. Your network is your net worth. It's that phrase and it's real. It's, it's super true. By the way, the book is called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. It's not about the alcohol. I don't even drink alcohol myself. I wrote a book about cocktail parties and there's no drink recipes. But it's that idea, the phrase cocktail party, 
That's a socially acceptable, lightweight, easy event for you to show up to. That phrase is easy for people to say yes to. Very different from a dinner party. Yes. Um, and this format and formula can work for a networking event. It can work for hosting a clothing swap. It can work for a book swap or a happy hour. And in the show notes, we'll include links to those. I've written a bunch of articles about how to host a networking event, how to plan a happy hour, how to host a clothing swap. The same formula hosted on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Keep it to two hours. Use name tags. Do rounds of icebreakers. That is how you can learn to gather people and become a super connector so that then folks are like, oh, my God, you got to meet Bert. He hosts these amazing events. You, you have to get an invite. He hosts these awesome stuff anyone can do that you just have to step up and host a party yeah no i love that i love that all right if you were to um give our audience one or two takeaways what would be the one or two things that you would want the audience to take away from either the book or, or from today's interview number one is the importance of name tags even if you're hosting a birthday party for your kids or a gathering it's not that you know everybody's names think about your guests Think about the plus ones or the spouses of your guests that are coming. They don't know everybody. Name tags are an easy way to make people feel included. Number two, do not host a dinner party. If you're getting excited to host people, I can't stress enough, it's not about the food. People are coming for the people and the conversations. You can accomplish 80% of the results with only 20% of the work, less work, less time, less stress, when just do a cocktail party. I love that. I love that. And, and not only not only is it not about the food, it's not about the alcohol. You talk about right. that in the book as well. Just, right. you know, and, 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 and it's phenomenal. And it, it is more, at least from what I took away from the book, it's more about the name tags, getting everybody to know each other, and the icebreakers. Those, yes. to me, were the big takeaways that I got from it because- in today's world, we, we might say hi to people and quote, we, we might have a bunch of friends on LinkedIn and social media, but do we know people? Do we really even know their name? This is great. In fact, one of the things that I started doing, uh, and, and again, you talk about this in the book, as you mentioned, okay, I think it's even in the first chapter, start putting your name list together. Yes. And so I go to the gym every day. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to invite her. I'm going to invite him. I'm yes. going to invite this trainer, that trainer, the owner. And so I, I have a name list of about 50 people, which I'm going to shrink down to about 15, I think is a recommended amount. Yeah. Get those 15 people in there and just have fun. Dude, this not... is perfect for your gym friends. Yeah. Because, because you see these people all the time. And maybe it's a little too much of a step to say, hey, let's go right to dinner. But instead, you bring them to a cocktail party. That's perfect. Hold on. I have to ask you about this. We're going off topic for a second. What is your gym routine? You look fit as heck. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my fit, my, my gym routine is I go to the gym um, early in the morning and I hit the weights in an uh, in, in ideal situation. Then I go back at around five o'clock and wow. I do a little cardio to to work off the stress of the day, just to kind of give me a little bit of extra energy. And that's basically it. Much respect, much respect. Do you mind if I ask how old you are? I am, uh, I will be 60. Get out year. of town, get yeah. out of town. Yes, I will be Are 60 you kidding? Years. You're an inspiration for that level of fitness, for <laughs> going you. to the gym twice a day, you're doing more. And for me, that's an inspiration to get my butt into gear 
and get up there to get some functional strength training. It's just yeah. helpful as we get older. Absolutely. Absolutely. You gotta, you know, you don't want to lose uh, your glute uh, that you developed in New York, 13 years of, of uh, stairs, stair, what is it? Stairmaster? Stair yes. Climbing. Yes. <laughs> and, and hauling the groceries up the stairs. <laughs> You're right, Bert. Oh, my goodness. Nick, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I'm so excited about the two-hour cocktail party book by Nick Gray. The show notes, uh, or check out the show notes. We'll have plenty of links there. Nick, love to have you back again, my friend. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bert.